0: If you are under construction and committed to living life like it matters, you have found a home. Check us out on Facebook where we post new shows every day, facebook.com slash LIM Radio. For information on my transformational leadership training, where I teach you how to live life like it matters, go to likeitmatters.net. And if you have a spiritual appetite, check out my daily devotional with some wisdom from above at wayofwarrior.blog. That's wayofwarrior.blog. The time is now to live life like it matters. So welcome to the world of Mr. Black. And now, story time with Mr. Black. The three questions by Leo Tolstoy, from the Gospel in Tolstoy, translated by Luis and Alimer Maud. It once occurred to a certain king that if he always knew the right time to begin everything, if he knew who were the right people to listen to and whom to avoid, and above all, if he always knew what was the most important thing to do, he would never fail in anything he might undertake. And this thought having occurred to him, he had it proclaimed throughout his kingdom that he would give a great reward to anyone who would teach him what was the right time for every action, and who were the most necessary people, and how he might know what was the most important thing to do. And learned men came to the king, but they all answered his questions differently. In reply to the first question, some said that to know the right time for every action one must draw upon in advance a table of days, months, and years, and must live strictly according to it. Only thus, said they, could everything be done at its proper time. Others declared that it was impossible to decide beforehand the right time for every action. But that not letting oneself be absorbed in idle pastimes, one should always attend to all that was going on and then do what was most needful. Others again said that however attentive the king might be to what was going on, it was impossible for one man to decide correctly the right time for every action, but that he should have a council of wise men who would help him to fix the proper time for everything. But then again, others said there were some things which could not wait to be laid before a council, but about which one had to once decide to whether to undertake them or not. But in order to decide that one must know beforehand what was going to happen. It is only magicians who know that. And therefore, in order to know the right time for every action, one must consult magicians. Equally various were the answers to the second question. Some said the people the king most needed were his counselors, others the priests, others the doctors, while some said the warriors were the most necessary. To the third question as to what was the most important occupation, some replied that the most important thing in the world was science. Others said it was skill in warfare, and others again that it was religious worship. All the answers being different, the king agreed with none of them and gave the reward to none. But still wishing to find the right answer to his questions, he decided to consult a hermit widely renowned for his wisdom. The hermit lived in a wood which he never quitted and received none but common folk. So the king put on simple clothes and before reaching the hermit's cell, dismounted from his horse, leaving his bodyguard behind, he went on alone. When the king approached, the hermit was digging the ground in front of his hut. Seeing the king, he greeted him and continued digging. The hermit was frail and weak, and each time he stuck his spade into the ground and turned a little earth, he breathed heavily. The king went up to him and said, I have come to you, wise hermit, to ask you to answer three questions. How could I learn to do the right thing at the right time? Who are the people I most need, and to whom should I therefore pay more attention than to the rest? And what affairs are the most important and need my first attention?" The hermit listened to the king, but answered nothing. He just spat on his hand and recommenced digging. "'You are tired,' said the king. Let me take the spade and work a while for you." "'Thanks,' said the hermit. And giving the spade to the king, he sat down on the ground. When he had dug two beds, the king stopped and repeated his questions. The hermit again gave no answer, but rose, stretched out his hand for the spade, and said, Now rest a while, and let me work a bit. But the king did not give him the spade and continued to dig. One hour passed, and another The sun began to sink behind the trees, and the king at last stuck the spade in the ground and said, I came to you, wise man, for the answer to my questions. If you can give me none, tell me so, and I'll return home. Here comes someone running, said the hermit. Let us see who it is. The king turned around and saw a bearded man come running out of the wood. The man held his hand pressed against his stomach, and blood was flowing from underneath them. When he reached the king, he fell, fainting on the ground, moaning feebly. The king and the hermit unfastened the man's clothing. There was a large wound in his stomach. The king washed it out as best he could and bandaged it with his handkerchief and with a towel the hermit had. But the blood would not stop flowing, and the king again and again removed the bandage, soaked with warm blood, and washed and rebandaged the wound. When at last the blood ceased flowing, the man revived and asked him for something to drink. The king brought fresh water and gave it to him. Meanwhile, the sun had set and it had become cool. So the king with the hermit's help carried the wounded man into the hut, laid him on the bed. Lying on the bed, the man closed his eyes and was quiet. But the king was so tired from his walk and from the work he had done that he crouched down on the threshold and also fell asleep. So soundly that he slept all through the short summer night. When he awoke in the morning, it was long before he could remember where he was or who was the strange bearded man lying on the bed and gazing intently at him with shining eyes. Forgive me, said the bearded man in a weak voice when he saw the king was awake and was looking at him. I do not know you and have nothing to forgive you for, said the king. You do not know me, but I know you. I am the enemy of yours who swore to revenge himself on you because you executed his brother and seized his property. I knew you had gone alone to see the hermit and I resolved to kill you on your way back. But the day passed and you did not return. So I came out of my ambush to find you and came upon your bodyguard, and they recognized me and wounded me. I escaped from them, but should have bled to death had you not dressed my wound. I wished to kill you, and you have saved my life. Now, if I live, and if you wish it, I will serve you as your most faithful slave and will bid my sons to do the same. Forgive me. The king was very glad to have made peace with his enemy so easily, and to have gained him as a friend. And he not only forgave him, but said he would send his servants and his own physician to attend him, and promised to restore all his property. Having taken leave of the wounded man, the king went out into the porch and looked around for the hermit. Before going away, he wished once more to beg an answer to the questions he had put. The hermit was outside on his knees, sowing seeds in the beds that had been dug the day before. The king approached him and said, For the last time, I pray you to answer my questions, wise man. You have already been answered, said the hermit, still crouching on his thin legs and looking up the king who stood before him. How, answered. What do you mean, asked the king. Do you not see, replied the hermit. If you had not pitied my weakness yesterday, and had not dug these beds for me, but had gone your way, that man would have attacked you, and you would have repented of not having stayed with me. So the most important time was when you were digging the beds, and I was the most important man, and to do me good was your most important business. Afterwards, when the man ran to us, the most important time was when you were attending to him. For if you had not bound up his wounds, he would have died without having made peace with you. So he was the most important man. And what you did for him was your most important business. Remember then, there is only one time that is important and that is now. It is the most important time because it is the only time when we have any power The most necessary person is the one with whom you are. For no man knows whether he will ever have dealings with anyone else. And the most important affair is to do that person good. Because for that purpose alone was man sent into this life. Ladies and gentlemen, we all have a timeline. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is the present. So we must treat it like the gift that it is. Dr. Victor Frankl said, there's a space between the stimulus and the response and in that space is your power and your freedom. We must learn from our past, but we cannot live there. It is a canceled check. We should have hope for our future, but it is not guaranteed. It does not exist yet. The only moment we are guaranteed is this place called the now. It is in the now moment that we live life. Now is the place of change, commitment, passion and purpose. We can only experience those things in this place that we occupy called the now moment. When Jesus walked this planet, he summarized the 10 commandments by telling us the greatest commandment is love. Now look at what Jesus says sums up the law and the prophets. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, also do to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The irony is, this really isn't a new law to love our neighbor. The new covenant portion is that our neighbor has been expanded to include everyone, even the most despised of our enemies. Even in Leviticus, the Israelites were told to love their neighbor, but that was their own people. However, now we are to love all people as ourselves, not just those who are like us, not just our own people. For it is written, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, love is a verb. It is an action word. It is not a noun. It is not a feeling. For God so loved the world, he did something about it. For you so love your family, you do something about it. For a veteran so loves this country or her country, that they do something about it. For a law enforcement officer so loves their community, that they do something about it. Keep it simple, soldier. See a need, meet that need. You don't need to go on a mission trip halfway around the world. Go to the street corner. Go to your kid's bedroom. Go to jail. Go to a nursing home. Love people by meeting their needs and meeting them where they're at. Remember, the most important affair is to do that person good because that purpose alone was man sent into this life. You've been listening to Like It Matters Radio with Scott Black, your source for inspiration, education, and application. Learn more and register for an upcoming class at likeitmatters.net. That's likeitmatters.net.